0: It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. What a week. Got a couple of interviews today. I'll tell you about those in just a minute. But this week, Nancy Pelosi's husband was arrested for a DUI. Ray Liotta died. The jury did not believe Amber Heard and did believe Johnny Depp. Did anyone who watched that trial, even for a few days like I did, think she was ever telling the truth? Oh, man. (laughs) <laughs> I wanted to get Nate the lawyer on this, but we'll grab him for the show later to break it down. One thing for sure, if you want to sue for defamation for a story in the Washington Post, do it in Virginia. Don't do it in L.A. where they have anti-slop laws. And just like a Washington, D.C. jury would do, this federal jury... In the Michael Sussman case, he's Hillary Clinton's attorney, a DNC attorney. Anyway, they acquitted him for lying to the FBI, even though there was an entire cadre of uh, FBI agents saying, yeah, no, that's not that's not the story he told me. No, that's not the story he told me. You know, what's interesting is everybody was probably lying in this trial, just everybody. And what I like is that John Durham, the special counsel, sort of smoking them out and getting out the details of this case that was the R- Trump Russia collusion case. And we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot. First of all, you can't get a fair jury in Washington D.C. If you uh, let me let me put it this way, if you want a jury of your peers, even though it's not in the constitution that you get a jury of your peers, you're supposed to get an impartial jury. Um you're not going to get it in Washington DC unless you are of the left because those people those people do not like conservatives. 94% for Hillary. 90 over 90% for Democrats, there's 4% for Trump in the 2016 election. I mean, these people are not fans of Donald Trump. Got it? But you cannot even extrapolate those numbers and say, well, you know, if it hadn't been Trump, they would have loved Republicans. I <laughs> know. Uh, n- n- no. But that's not the end of this, of course. There are other people coming up and being examined and eh, maybe even targeted by John Durham, but it's not the end of the entire story. And what we found out in the last couple of days is that. Michael Sussman, Hillary's attorney, formerly of Perkins Coie, he had to leave, and Mark Elias, Hillary's attorney, DNC attorney, he left because they were both under scrutiny. Mark Elias testified against Michael Sussman, and Robbie Mook, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, testified and said that Hillary Clinton greenlighted the disinformation campaign about Trump-Russia to the media. And of course, Sussman and his minions took it to the FBI and the CIA to spy on Donald Trump. There's a very interesting thing about this. What we found out was that the FBI has an office at Perkins Coie. And it's not just an office, an empty office. Oh yeah, sure, that's the conference room. We, We just keep around for people who may need an office space when they're between... Some legal business. No, 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 no. This is a clamp down, maybe even a skiff uh, with computer access, reportedly. But Perkins Coie does say, admits, confirms that it does have such a place for the FBI, which connotes access. And what's interesting is that both uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, Matt Gates say a whistleblower informed them about this and that Michael Sussman was the one in charge of overseeing the security of this room now let's just let's just step away and take a breath here for just a minute you're telling me that a guy who's up on charges and in fact had been indicted early in the Hillary Clinton uh, accusing Donald Trump in this big disinformation campaign that says Do- Trump is a super secret Russian agent is now in control and charge of this FBI space. What you talking about? Really? And that somebody thought that was a good idea because why exactly? Oh, there's so much more to this story. I wrote about it over at PJ Media, and I want you to go see it. Uh, There's, I mean, well, let me just tell you a couple of salient details, shall I? First of all, they had access. They had computer access. And according to reports, and these are reports by the FISA chief judge, there was a lot of Illegal activity going on, people unmasking uh, the individuals that were uh, sought, information sought by these people, and they were unmasked and they were identified in public. And remember, there was this whole thing. uh, Trump's going, where where the hell is, what's going on here? How, How are all these people being, quote unquote, unmasked, outed, basically, for lack of a better way of putting it? In fact, that's a better way of putting it. And the way it goes down is the conservative treehouse, which is a website and a political website, conservative, as you might expect, and they get some stuff right a lot. And they've been reporting for the past couple of years. That the Obama administration had begun weaponizing the executive branch, his different offices, such as the IRS and his lackey, Lois Lerner. You may remember this. They went after the Tea Party, the 2010 Tea Party. That was huge. I mean, there were Tea Parties all over saying, hell no, stop spending all this money. You're just trying to buy, predicting exactly what Biden is doing right now. And what's he doing? He's debasing the currency, he's causing recession. This is a mess. This is a mess. Yes, we have a COVID overlay. I think they used it to achieve all of their ends and I ha- I hate to say that. But anyway, the IRS stopped being weaponized after they were busted and Judicial Watch sued them. And that so that happened and then so they said, "Okay, well we'll we'll go get some information elsewhere on our political enemies." And so what happened was they went to another spigot of information. And it turns out it was a, uh, the information, the database that is run by, was run by NSA Chief Admiral Mike Rogers. And he saw, because they did an audit, they saw that, wait a second, hold on now, contractors to the FBI and outsiders were using their database, which is shared with the FBI, to make inappropriate FISA 702 search queries. And this means something to some people in the feds, I'm sure. But it was confirmed by the head of the FISA court. And when Judge Rosemary Collier excoriated the FBI for not just lying to her on the court's FISA's applications, Carter Page, ring a bell. But what happened was 85% of the queries in in a particular period of time were illegal. That was the time at which this existed over at Perkins Coie. This FBI office, with act, we think it had access, computer access. And why wouldn't they? Because what good of an FBI office is it if they don't have the wherewithal to communicate? So uh, conservative Treehouse says they had a portal to the FBI. I have no idea. I have not seen that in anything I've been reporting on. But the day after that spigot was turned off, which was, let's see, let me see if I can find the... April 18th, 2016. On April 19th, I don't know what Mary Jacoby is doing at the White House, but she happens to be the Fusion GPS founder's wife, Glenn Simpson's wife. And immediately thereafter, the DNC and Clinton campaign contract with Fusion GPS who then hire Christopher Steele and then they begin, the FBI does begin using confidential human sources of which Michael Sussman was one, Christopher Steele, the guy who made up that whole dossier thing and the Trump-Russia thing, and other players who were used by the FBI to spy on the Trump campaign. So there was spying all the way through. So we'll see if that's true. I. Uh, The spying, of course, did go on. It did. And uh, that's why John Durham's looking into this. But I kind of wonder, don't you, that we we now hear this whistleblower story now. And the person says, well, you know, there was that office at the FBI. They had every opportunity to go in and scrape information from the database and and et cetera from there. Okay. Okay. It sounds legit. It does. not going to lie. But we'll see. We'll see. Stay tuned. So coming up, I've got another interview with Jake Lang. He's the January 6th protester. He's still in prison awaiting trial. This is outrageous and astonishing. Even if you think the guy's the worst guy in the world, okay? You don't keep someone in prison for you know 18 months while they're awaiting trial solitary confinement based on what? There is so much wrong with this case that will just curl your hair. If you did not listen to the last episode of Adult in the Room podcast, please go back and listen to that, The this technical issue with the, his uh, interview. You know, I, I've learned something. Sometimes it's difficult to interview someone who's, who's in prison. I'm just, <laughs> is it just me? I don't think so. But go ahead and listen to that. There are more details than there are in this latest one. And then Jake from, from prison, I made a documentary, and he'll tell you about that as well. And then an interview with Glenn Morgan, who's in Washington State. He blew up a story about prisoners being tested with an LSD-like drug in secret. He tells you what it is, tells you what it does in our interview. And how the current governor, Jay Inslee, and his attorney general said, oh, well, you know, we don't have to release that information now. And do you know why they didn't release the information now? Because it really was a bad look to have the governor touting, get a COVID vaccine. You can't go anywhere. You can't have a job. You can't stay here. Police officers, you're out. All of those things and forcing that medication on individuals when, indeed, it was illegal and unconstitutional for them to do this to prisoners. So, just just a thought. So, let's go to Glenn first and listen to his explanation of this bizarre story out of Washington. Glenn Morgan, We the Governed, you have pretty much had your own private way with a particularly large story in the state of Washington having to do with some bad optics for Governor Jay Inslee. Now, what happened and how did you become involved in it?
1: Well, uh, Victoria, as always, I really appreciate you having me on the air and, you know, talking about these issues here. And, uh, in this case, uh, the most, most recent one, and I anticipate there'll be more stories related to this, had to do with whistleblowers coming to me, which I've, you know, regularly recruited over the years and, uh, and encouraged. And, uh, we've had these whistleblowers, uh, coming forward who, uh, in this case from the Department of Corrections, who had basically been aware of, um, Problems inside the Department of Corrections, starting a couple years ago, and they were basically exposing the fact that the um, they had uncovered these historic records related to human medical trials on inmates in the past, and you know so the Inslee administration wasn't involved in this. This was decades ago, uh, and uh, most of these experiments had been, uh, and they had to do with human vaccine trials and um, uh, experiments with. Uh DITRAN, which is, was developed by the U.S. Chemical Weapons um, Research Labs back in the 60s and the 50s, and also radiation experiments, and they had found all these records. And uh, what the Inslee administration did, in, in conjunction with the D- Attorney General's office under Bob Ferguson, was they decided that uh, because these records were coming out and um, Rather than going public with them, they decided to silence the, yeah, they decided to suppress the record so they didn't, the public wouldn't know about it. And they did it because, uh, Ins- even though it was years before, it had nothing to do with Inslee or the Ferguson administration today. But, uh, they wanted to silence him because they, Inslee was developing his mandate last year for state workers. And he didn't want even the hint of a historic story like this about bad behavior by state government in some way. Um, didn't even want that to potentially come out there and interrupt his narrative as it related to his uh, vaccine mandate for state workers. And so they decided to suppress those records. And I wrote an article and did a video on it, and I published all of the records there as well as a number of records related to the internal discussions emails back and forth between Inslee and the Attorney General's office and the Department of Corrections uh, people, where even though they're heavily redacted, they essentially are talking about uh, this effort to, uh, you know, what they're going to say. And then, you know, they even had a draft press release in there, which they had never released. And uh, and they basically have remained silent about this subject now for, for over a year and a half.
0: And you contend they remain silent for over a year and a half because?
1: Um, They their own justification internally was they were silent about it last year because of the mandates that were coming out. And Inslee didn't even want the hint of anything that people could use and point to saying, hey, see, this is something the government's done in the past that was bad. Therefore, uh, maybe we should question what government's doing today. That was enough that it would potentially affect his narrative that he decided to suppress it. Why they're not going public with it now is kind of absurd and ridiculous, especially now that I've released all the records. But – Um, You know, who can know the mind of a bureaucrat at a certain point in time? They just uh, there's a reflexive desire by uh, government oftentimes to suppress the truth. And I just think sometimes it's just becoming habitual. And this is just another example.
0: You know, it seems odd that uh, right now they would say that they are reluctant to release the information officially, even though you already have, but uh, and to acknowledge it anyway. When, right. of course, the United States has fallen all over itself to apologize for all these kinds of medical experiments against the Tuskegee Airmen. Uh, even this CIA came out in the, I think it was the eighties and acknowledged, or maybe it was the nineties and acknowledged the MK Ultra experiments on their own and as well as prisoners and other people. Don't you find that sort of odd?
1: Yeah, I did, and in fact, I remember thinking that once I published these, that they would eventually come out and say, um, "Okay, well, you know, that's true, but uh, Glenn Morgan just exaggerating, or or something like that, right?" And instead, they've just gone totally silent. And um, you know, of course, it raises the bigger question because, uh, and the bigger question related to this is if they're willing to. suppress records like this that clearly predate this administration and frankly nobody alive um, at the time of these experiments there, there are a couple inmates that are apparently, uh, apparently still alive but the people who conducted these experiments on the inmates nobody that I've been able to find is still alive anymore so if they're, un- if they're willing to cover up and go through this length of effort to be silent about something like that what else are they covering up that's happening right now that actually is more embarrassing or should be more embarrassing than something like this from decades ago
0: That's a great point. Do you have any inkling as to whether or not they're hiding something else?
1: Well, I know they're hiding stuff. They they it seems so reflexive for almost every senior bureaucrat in modern government, I mean, uh, to conceal and hide stuff that it just seems to be the nature of their job. And uh so they definitely are. The question is what are they hiding and when will we find out about it? I do believe that most of this stuff eventually comes out uh and and gets exposed. There is some more information coming out from the Department of Corrections and other things that they are trying to hide that's a lot more current, but um, I I want to release these records all at the same time uh, when I when I get them compiled correctly and uh, review a few more uh, pieces of information from whistleblowers. But this is just reflexive. It doesn't matter if it's the Department of um, Ecology, Department of Transportation, um, you know, Employment Security Division, right? That loses six hundred uh, you know million dollars yeah. supposedly to Nigerian fraud scheme. I mean. Every single state agency seems to be doing this as just a matter of habit and the um, – yeah, Governor Inslee, uh, this is just how they roll and the attorney general, Bob Ferguson, his, his agency and his – under his administration, his main job is just to simply justify the concealment of the truth and come up with excuses that helps give the state agencies the ability to justify why they're going to hide whatever they're hiding from the public today you know, we might find out about in the future. Maybe they'll succeed in suppressing the truth on some of these issues. But uh, it's just kind of amazing to see um, the extraordinary lengths that they seem to be willing to go through to just keep everything secret like this.
0: Isn't Bob Ferguson the top lawman in the state of Washington? Now, what? Uh, why would he hide this?
1: Well, one of the things is that the attorney general also provides legal counsel for all of the executive agencies in the state of Washington. So he's legally obligated to do that. Now, they'll tell you that there's like a firewall, sort supposedly, between the attorneys that they assign to help at the Department of Ecology or that they assign to the Department of Transportation or, in this case, the Department of Corrections. Um, So, in other words, there's an attorney there to represent the Department of Corrections, and then there's going to be other attorneys that technically represent – the governor's office and then there's but they're all coming out of the attorney general's office and groupthink predominates in this space so there's not it's not like uh, any of these people come up with unique ideas on their own if they did he would have fired them long ago I mean the Ferguson administration generally just keeps people in that uh, are willing to um, toe the line and follow the direction that he has which is mostly uh, supporting big government at all costs and uh, it really everything else Becomes very secondary uh, to that. And when you do see them have, are, you know, being willing to leak out information that's embarrassing to an agency or an individual. In government, it's usually a, based on a political decision that's already been made where they're willing to throw that person under the bus or, um, they've decided that, you know, they, there's a political infighting issue and they pick sides. It, it tends to be something like that. Otherwise, they're, they're pretty good at basically keeping a unified front and, and making sure the public doesn't know what's, what's going on.
0: Dietran, they gave that to the prisoners. What did that do to the prisoners?
1: It created psych- uh, psychotic breakdowns according to the handwritten notes and observations that were found in these records. Uh, it is kind of like LSD. It's in a hallucinogenic, but it does more than that. It actually creates apparently fa- – um, uh, times, uh, amnesia, uh, where they don't remember what they did during these psychotic breakdowns. Uh, it's pretty bad stuff. Um, and, you know, the idea of informed consent wasn't the same back then as we have it today. Uh, they were most likely they would have been violating most of the rules that we would in theory have in place today in regards to actually letting them know about what the side effects or the potential problems would be. And, uh, you know, right. so they give this, they give this terrible, uh I mean, it, it's really a banned disease, you know, it's a banned substance, you're really not supposed to be using it on human, uh, right. it, it, under any circumstances, but that's what they did at the time. And um, it obviously led to pretty bad, uh, bad outcomes for the prisoners they tested it on. Now, the radiation tests, um, those did become public um, experiments that were made on on uh, the prisoners, those did become public in the 90s. And there was a lawsuit related to that, that ultimately ended in a judgment uh, against the Department of Corrections and against the state of Washington, where they did have to pay Uh, people that they had experimented on with these radiation experiments in prison or their family members. Uh, That settlement uh, went through in 2000, uh, so about 22 years ago. Some of these records would have been relevant to that lawsuit and should have been provided at the time. Hmm. Um, But the claim, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the claim, of course, is they they didn't have access to them. And uh, these records have been discovered in the Walla Walla Penitentiary, supposedly hiding in a closet uh where nobody had you know they had just stumbled on them uh, a few years ago so uh it's it's just one of these things where if they just had gone public with what they found and when they found it right this I don't think there'd be the same kind of a story the story here isn't so much that um that they're incompetent and that they had missing records that were sitting in a dusty closet in Walla Walla it's that uh, they, when they did find them, even though it's been, you know, 50 years, they decide to sit on it and hide it and conceal it even now, you know, long after the fact, just because of the potential hint that it would have an impact on uh, a negative impact in some minor way on the narrative that the Inslee and Ferguson administration were pushing in regards to the VAX mandates for state workers.
0: Well, and you also mentioned that there was an influenza antiviral developed by DuPont and injected into 840. 800- Subjects I read here at your website, yes. We the Governed. And that, of course, is a real bad look for Inslee because he's essentially asking people to do the same thing with these so called vaccines, mRNA vaccines.
1: Right. right. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure that that was part of the reason why. Uh, they were you know he was feeling like it could have a negative impact on uh you know what they're doing today i mean there's there's no evidence in the records that i that uh we we made public that there were any specific problems uncovered with the influenza vaccine experiments that were done back in this time frame on the on the um prisoners so there wasn't anything specific that came out of that that I could see that was particularly negative but Again, it's just this whole idea of even the hint, even the slightest hint of a potential negative or contrary... Image as it relates to governments' experiments on on people and uh, things that they would know that you wouldn't do today, or at least in theory, in theory you you wouldn't be doing today. They they don't even want that hint of a potential question on the narrative, and for that they were happily willing to silence and suppress these records, uh, even as significant as they are and as historic as they are, uh, just because they didn't even want that hint. And I, I mean, again, it raises the much bigger question to me: is what else are they willing to hide right now?
0: It's a, almost as if they don't trust people to have the information that will bring them some transparency in government. It's so weird. Uh, they trust <laughs> us with our vote, but all of a sudden we have devolved several IQ points and therefore they can't trust us with information that makes us a better citizen.
1: Well, they only trust us with our vote when the vote goes the way they want it to go. Right. If we vote for $30 car tabs, um then they say that uh, we just don't know what we're doing. And uh you know, and that's of course the the classic uh, scenario with big government and uh with this kind of groupthink that tends to exist um in the permanent bureaucratic class. You know, I oftentimes call it the government staff infection. Yeah. that uh, is uh, worse than any other disease that we have because it spreads throughout government and it creates this idea that uh, government certainly knows best that the bureaucracy, you know, is the is the most powerful player really involved and that um, anything that potentially reflects poorly on them, they will suppress silence and discredit because uh, no matter what the nature of bureaucracy is to perpetuate itself and to bloat itself. And uh, every time you get a little glimpse behind the curtain of what's actually going on, it doesn't make you feel any better about the decision processes that they're following. And transparency in government, is a they like to say that they care about it, but the reality is if there's anything remotely negative that is uncovered in this process, they will do anything and everything they can to keep that secret and silent from the public.
0: Throwing you a curveball here, but I know that you're the person who would be able to answer this or at least inform us about when this change happened. And the change is something that people warn me of, boy, I mean, I want to say in the late 90s, early 2000s, maybe, in which government decided that there weren't citizens, there were only stakeholders on certain issues, and they got to pick and choose who the stakeholders were. And that's when they began to expand even more the size of government. How has that played out in government, do you think?
1: Well, and, you know, to be fair, this is kind of a historic challenge with uh self-governance in general, uh, and then the nature of the bureaucratic state. If you actually go back in Washington state history, and I'm, you know, as a fifth generation Washingtonian, I, I love Washington, I'm never leaving, and I care about the state, and I tend to focus on it. And there, there's been these historic waves that have occurred in Washington state history once in the early 20s and 30s, uh, once again, in the late 60s, early 70s, and then I think we're eventually going to be seeing another one here, where people become, they discover things that. Go government, local government bureaucracies, doing that uh, they don't like and they want to find out more about it. And then, of course, government bureaucracy and the politicians and whatever established interests are involved, they decide to stonewall or silence them or push back on them. Um, the existence of our current Sunshine Laws that came about in the 1972 initiative, uh, Open Public Meetings Act, Public Records Act, and uh, some of those uh, re- related laws that came out around that time, all were in response to scandals that were ongoing going where they were uncovering things the government was doing in the shadows, and they wanted to know more about what was happening in government. Um, what's a little different, I think, today is that the way government has structured and integrated itself into the political conscious, like uh, where they're really clearly aligned with one party and very opposed to the other party, that I think is a little bit different. Because if you go back and you look at the, sun, the efforts to... Um, passed the sunshine laws in the late 60s, early 70s, that really was a bipartisan across the board sort of grassroots approach where people all across the political spectrum were supporting that. You actually saw the same thing in the 20s and 30s with a lot of the uh, grassroots efforts in Washington State to require more accountability in local government, particularly when it came to uh, regulating taxes, uh, you know, and and the ability to raise taxes and how to spend those, the tax dollars. Nowadays, um, the bureaucracy has decided to basically align itself almost exclusively with the democratic party and kind of left-wing causes. And I think that's one of the biggest differences that we see today is just this tendency to align themselves with one side and the special interests that support that side. So it's become very political.
0: Sure has. It's, You against everyone else, which is (laughs) everything and everyone. no. yeah
1: and until you know i i think there's an underappreciated element to uh, big government today, uh, whether that 's at the county and city level or the state level or the federal level it 's these outside special interests that have kind of insinuated themselves uh, into the decision making process and the benefit being becoming the beneficiaries of uh, government that 's no longer transparent or responsive to the average citizen there so when you look at the homeless industrial complex there's clearly an entire established industry, they might, "Quote unquote," call themselves nonprofits, but they take you know uh, millions and millions and hundreds mm. of millions and billions of dollars now to ensure that the "quote unquote" homelessness or drug addiction problem only gets worse. And the worse it gets, the more money they get. And that money is almost entirely unaccountable. Nobody audits it. Nobody checks to see what happens once it leaves the government and these big checks going to these special interests. It just vanishes. Sounds and legit. The- Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the outcome measurement, right, which is, are we solving the problem only gets worse and nobody bothers to go back and think about. There's no accountability
0: uh, because they've ceded everything to NGOs.
1: Right, and they don't want that accountability. Anytime you try to raise uh, questions of accountability, as I've done in the f- uh, past with trying to institute maybe laws or requirements regarding auditability and um, making the books public and how they spend their money, they raise a huge fuss out of it like it's the end of the world and you think that uh, Armageddon was coming, and it probably is for the total corruption that seems to permeate these organizations. Uh, they certainly don't want anybody putting the spotlight or shining a light on exactly what they're doing with that money and why failure. Is the only uh, acceptable outcome if you know, and that's, and you see the same thing. Of course, in the environmental side of things, yeah, you'll see the same thing. Um, you know, because again, green and the government staff infection that occurs over there is, has been pretty dramatic. It really has only been overshadowed by the homeless industrial complex recently, and uh, you'll see the same thing in, in uh, government contracts uh, at and building contracts. Who gets you know to decide uh, elements related to transportation policy? All these issues are really, uh, and why not? I mean, it's, there's so much money there. Sure. Nobody's, nobody's accountable for it. So they don't, nobody ever gets held accountable no matter what happens for the most part. So, uh, I don't even know why, uh, organized crime stays in the private sector at all anymore. I, I think governments where the cash is at and apparently you can steal as much as you want or direct it in places you want. And there's, there's really pretty much no accountability and nobody's watching, uh, you know, watching it. That's why they like people like Bob. Firth. Ferguson and um, other, you know, types of people. If they can get them into these positions uh, in the auditors' offices, like McCarthy, uh, she's a terrible auditor. Uh, clearly, doesn't care about government transparency. She's more concerned about uh, supporting the bureaucracies, making them feel comfortable with her office. Um, and that was a big contrast between her and and uh, Brian Sontag, who was also a Democrat. But back in the day, different st- style of Democrat. He actually didn't think that stealing money from the public was a good plan. Well, as long as you're a and, stakeholder,
0: you can do it, though, now.
1: Right, right. No, no, that's OK. It's not stealing as long as you give it to people on your own side. Right. At least that's the theory. Right. And, um, and we see that in operation all the time. Uh, really, the only reason there aren't more stra- Stories about this out there is that very few people are looking at what's actually happening to this money and with this money, and you know remnants of legacy media that might exist out there today. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, the 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 traditional news tatters. They're, yeah, they're I mean in a they're,
0: corner, they do the bottles. Yeah, they broken. don't
1: want to report on this. Yeah, they won't. They won't. They won't report on this type of stuff. They don't even want to look. <laughs> they, <laughs> their best goal. Yeah, the Seattle <laughs> Times isn't going to go and dig into these stories. They don't want to find it. Um, you might embarrass them into covering them slightly if you have to, but for the most part, nobody's looking because that upsets the gravy trade and everybody's uh, on board uh, getting as much as they can, uh, and uh, and that's why it's incumbent on us, kind of in the this newer alternative media, you know, for lack of a better term, but just we have to go out there and, and expose the truth about what's happening because, you know, it won't, the the music eventually stops and there won't be enough chairs to go around. And so when that, when the gravy train kind of comes to an end now, suddenly I think you're going to see a lot more people coming forward um, and exposing this stuff. And I think this is just the beginning.
0: Why do you think you had a whistleblower approach you with the information of found documents pertaining to the experiments on prisoners. Why do you think that happened?
1: Well, um, because the mainstream media wouldn't listen. That's number one. Uh, and so they get, and this is the common refrain that I hear from whistleblowers all over the place. Uh, the mainstream media won't listen. And so therefore they're having to go to alternative sources. And I'm one of them. And I do actively recruit whistleblowers in Washington state. Um, I think they also go to me. Uh, at least what I'm told by some of them is that they know that I'm not afraid of, of uh, exposing the truth. Uh, and that at least from government's perspective, I'm not compromised on this. I, you know, I, I'm clearly willing to go after any of these, uh, anybody in government that's, that's stealing money or, or doing stuff like this bad behavior. And, uh, and I think that's probably why they went, they, they went to me, but, uh, you know, to be fair, they, they had approached the mainstream media with a lot of this stuff first and, uh, those guys just went silent and
0: did nothing. So they still haven't said anything, even though you've broken this thing wide open.
1: Yeah, not yet. So, but that's what. But you know, uh, talk radio has has covered it now, and uh, you know, there is starting. You are starting to hear about more of this as time goes by. But uh, it is one of those things where uh, you're just going to see the traditional uh, media, whatever's left of it. They they just aren't going to cover these kind of stories, even when it's uh, handed to them on a silver platter.
0: Question: Ten dollar gas is that a thing in Washington State?
1: Well, it isn't yet, and I hope it never gets there, but they're obviously uh, reprogramming some of the pumps, uh, you know, for that possibility so that somebody's trying to plan ahead, you know, just in case it gets that bad. Um, you know, I've always wondered that because you can see when you look at the, um, you know, the cost there on, on the fuel that it only has a one digit, you know, to the left of the, um, to the to, to in in the uh, uh, little screen there. So it makes you wonder what the true cost of fuel would be if it if it actually got that high. And obviously, inflation is making some people concerned that it could be getting that high. I'm certainly hoping that it doesn't, but that is really a question. You know, the state is contributing to that with their with our state. Uh, fuel tax, which is about forty-nine cents a gallon in in Washington right now, but uh, the federal um, you know refusal to allow um, you know op you know like shutting down pipelines and ending leases and making it impossible to get more sources of fuel, plus the international issues going on right now and inflation, all of these things are combining to increase the cost of living for all of us and there's no escaping um you know bad government you you just have to change it you can't go you can't hide in a rock and hope that it passes you by uh the reality is we have to be active and engaged and uh, recognizing that we need to replace uh bad government when when they're when they're in charge creating as much of a fiasco as these guys currently are
0: jay Inslee, who's the governor of washington state i heard say I believe it was just this week that he would not reduce these statewide taxes on gas because it would only encourage the oil companies to increase the price at the pump. And when you got done <laughs> laughing. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, 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 Well, I mean, you know, nobody's ever accused Inslee of being very bright and, uh, nobody's ever really accused him of understanding economics either. And, uh, but of course, he'll never be questioned because uh, he is only going to allow friendly media to be around him. And uh, so, you know, I don't see anybody actually asking those questions. But in the end, cutting the gas tax in Washington state probably isn't going to be up to Inslee anyway. It's going to end up being done by, you know, some combination of the people or the legislature. Uh, I do think we're going to see pretty significant legislative change um, this cycle, at least, uh, you know as, It all depends on how competently the Republicans provide alternatives in these various districts. And as we're, you know, as we're talking today, this is the end of filing week. So we'll see who actually decides to run. But if you have Republican candidates, um, who are serious about running for office and they don't need a drool cup to, to function on the campaign trail, (laughs) then. You know, then it's, then, then there's, then there's a legitimate alternative in some of these races. And, uh, I think the voters, at least based on both surveys and just experience that I have out there in the field, a lot of these districts, there's a lot more, um, competitive legislative districts, I think, uh, in play right now during the 2022 election than, than I think most people are aware. And certainly more than would have been predicted a year ago, just because of, um, you know, crime, inflation, inflation's a national thing, but it's, it still affects people decision, uh, when they make local decisions, uh, at the ballot, when they're voting, you know, with their ballots, uh, even if they live in King County and they get 10 of them. Um, they're still getting, you know, they're still making that decision. Yeah. And, uh, and so there's, uh, and, and I think it's crime and I think the schools and I think the homelessness tied into the crime issue and the drug addiction thing. A lot of this is people are looking at this, wondering exactly what kind of a country do you want to live in and how ridiculous is it that in a, uh, theoretical, uh, country that's supposed to be, uh, you know, a first world country, why is it that you have these kind of problems all over the place and, um. You know, that it is possible to solve them, but you're not going to solve them with the goofs that are in charge right now that helped create them in the first place.
0: You know, my my son-in-law is from Mexico and we have occasional conversations and uh, he said the, you know, uh, President Trump had talked about a particular country being a shithole country. "Quote," <laughs> my son-in-law said to me you know i came out of a shithole country and now i've come to america and i think it's turning into a shithole country because of the corruption you're not as free as you think you are he said to me you are not as non-corrupt as you think you are and that's right That's actually absolutely well, and,
1: right and and that's actually kind of one of the funny things and I've had this discussion with other with investigators before in the past, as we've looked at uh, just structure of state government and local government around around Washington State. I don't think we're completely unique, but there's this myth that uh, the political establishment in Washington wants to portray the Pacific Northwest kind of squeaky clean myth that somehow uh, we don't have any corruption in this state, and it's just yeah. it just doesn't exist. And it's this self-serving myth <laughs> that the bureaucracy and the political class want to portray, and it's not. It's obviously uh, it's a it's a foolish thing because human nature, being what it is, it isn't any different here than it is anywhere else. But um, what happens is that when nobody's looking and nobody's going to investigate and they feel like they can get away with it, uh, it's probably a far far worse than anybody realizes. And um, the best thing to do is if you're you know, committing fraud or you're stealing money or you're doing dishonest things in government. Uh, number one is, uh, you know, convince people nothing's happening. Uh, yeah. But number two is, you know, try to make something that should be illegal, legal, you know, so make it this questionable twilight kind of f- space where you can function and still steal money and get away with it. Or uh, make sure you have some control over the media so that nobody covers what's actually going on. And this is the opportunity that exists for those of us who care about good government and who don't want all our taxpayer dollars wasted on on political scams and, and uh, theft of our of our hard-earned tax dollars. Uh, that's the opportunity for us to expose it and expose the truth. And there's plenty of people that do work in government that don't like what they see. And uh, they just don't know where to go to get the truth out. And uh, hopefully that's what people like you and people like I and you know, myself and other people. That's what we're going to do is expose more of this as we go along.
0: We the governed Glenn Morgan. He's a treasure in the state of Washington. Thank you so much for coming on the adults in the room podcast.
1: <laughs> Victoria, thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> I know. Is, is this story amazing? It's un- it's unreal. It is unreal. He'll he'll keep on top of it, and we'll keep on top of that for you. So last time on the Adult in the Room podcast, we spoke with Jake Lang, who has languished in prison awaiting trial for his antics on January 6th. His imprisonment is all kinds of wrong. It's unconstitutional. Plenty going on there. We had a shorter period of time to discuss things. This time around, please listen. Check out his website. Check out his documentary. Let's go. So, Jake Lang, what is life behind bars like for you now since we last spoke?
2: Uh, 518 days in now. Um, the conditions are not getting any better. I mean, solitary confinement, 22 hours a day in your cell, is um, it's hard enough just for a week. Now imagine it for over a year and uh, not being able to, you know, see anybody or have any normal human conversations other than through the phone. Um I still do my Bible study every day, and that really gets me through, you know, the Spirit of God on me and, and, and protecting me. and um, So I, I really lean in on, on my faith a lot in this circumstance, and um, that seems every single time they try to come against me and make my situation worse, God seems to uh, give me more strength, and, and that's just beautiful grace.
0: How do you do a Bible study when you're in solitary?
2: Um, I have a brother in Christ that is, shares a wall with me in the other cell next to me. And so we read different verses of the Bible, screaming it through our walls. And, um, we pray out loud together. And, uh, sometimes during the different lunch or dinner trays, they leave your slot open in your door, a little doggy slot where they shove your food in onto, onto the floor in your, in your cell. And, um, so we talk through there and, uh, sometimes we get about two or three different people doing Bible study and it's, uh, you know, God, God can reach through walls. I'll tell you what.
0: Do you know who these people are with whom you're doing the Bible study? I'm just curious about this. Is it any other January six people or just,
2: no, they've, so I'm in Alexandria, Virginia right now. And, um, I've been moved eight times since I've been arrested, but I did a year in DC prison, um, with my fellow Jan six Patriots and, uh, they moved me then to Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, um, where there was only like four or five Patriots there, and now they moved me down to Alexandria, Virginia, where there's no, Jan Sixers here. So um, the people that I'm with here are just, uh, you know, other federal detainees
0: for a variety of things. Have you ever asked them what they're in for?
2: <laughs> um, this 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 uh, admin segregation is mainly for for people who have been alleged to uh, committed homicide. So yeah.
0: So, you're in a a population of people, although you are by yourself with murders
2: yep that's uh that's what God has placed me to to really preach and to spread his word to the least of these to the the, the people that are hurting the most and that have had the most sin on their hearts and so I preach to them and try to you know give them the word of god and and let them seek repentance through his uh his son.
0: Last time I spoke with you, we had some technical issues, but, uh, this is, you know, sounding okay for a phone call from prison. And, uh, is there anything new and different in your case since last we spoke?
2: Yeah, definitely. So my case has, um, the judge that I've been blessed with, uh, I thought originally it was a curse because, um, he denied my bond, um, and I have no criminal history, and, you know, criminals are getting out from alleged murders and shootouts of police all across the country, and um, I don't even have any injuries on my um, criminal report or whatever, on my indictment. And so recently, he this 1512 charge, it's called, it's called obstruction of Congress. It is a charge that is a blanket charge that the democrats and the prosecutors the liberal extremist prosecutors have used and charged like hundreds of people with from january 6th it's a 20-year maximum sentence it's the largest charge that any of us have by far so this 1512 charge um it's called obstruction of congress and my judge recently has um struck it down from one of my fellow patriots he's the first judge to remove it from um one of their indictments or a motion to dismiss that his lawyers filed and so then the prosecutors filed back for a motion to reconsider so my judge just yesterday um judge nichols he responded to that and he finalized his um decision and so my brother garrett miller my patriot uh, brother he now has been lifted off the <laughs> The obstruction of congress charge which is looming over all of our heads and so i have a motion to dismiss that the judge is currently deliberating on for my 1512 charge and i'm praying that um he sees the same scenario in garrett's case as he does in mine and um that'd be just a huge godsend and uh, i mean it's a, it's our main charge it's a charge that comes with a 20-year maximum sentence that could lock uh, any jan sixer up for multiple decades you know
0: Why did they throw the book at you?
2: I mean, they're throwing the book at me because I'm a symbol of liberty. And they're throwing the book at all January Sixers to scare the other patriots across this country into submission letting them know that they are, in fact, living in tyranny and that if you ever dare to protest your government for a stolen election, that, uh, you know, the White House is being taken over by a tyrannical regime. Joe Biden recently said uh, the Second Amendment is not absolute. I mean, that's rhetoric of a tyrant, and and that's unacceptable in this country. And so we're being ruled by tyranny right now. And um, they want to make sure that any other patriot that ever was brazen enough to stand up to the— socialist and communist regimes that are currently stationed in the White House would be deterred from doing it because they see other people like myself have, you know, been absolutely I mean, drugged through the mud called domestic terrorists, white supremacists, all this lies I about mean, I'm Jewish, you know, call me a white supremacist, and these people don't even have, you know, their, their their minds on straight. And so they're trying to deter future patriots from standing up.
0: Well Putting people in prison for months on end without a trial seems to me a good way to do that.
2: Yeah, um, the front-loading our sentences is how they call it in the, the prison system, basically punishing you before trial and putting you in the worst possible conditions and scenario. Um like I said, right now I, I have a light that stays on 24/7 in my cell. Sleep deprivation, social deprivation, no religious services other than me reading the Bible. There's no chaplain, no church, no where to worship or pray outside of my cell. Um, no medical services here. They won't. They're refusing to let me see an MD, a physician. Only nurses. Um, there's no place for me to work out. I don't get to leave this little area here. I don't get. I haven't seen the sunlight in two months. Um, there's no law library here, so I mean, if you think about the basic tenets of human survival, anywhere or in a prison, have been stripped of all um, humanity and front-loaded my sentence for 500 and some odd days. Just all of this is basically to cripple your spirit to make you take a plea deal. And um, many of my fellow patriot brothers have, you know, <laughs> they've bent the knee and they've
0: taken these plea deals basically under duress. Yeah. And,
2: and uh, it's wicked. It's really wicked, and it's purposeful what they're doing.
0: It's unconstitutional what they're doing. You, the, you you know this is unconstitutional behavior inside of a prison. It's cruel and unusual it, punishment. I mean that in the technical sense. All of the things you listed, which I'm sure you listed on purpose, are things that are required to give to inmates in a prison system, especially ones who've been convicted. Much less somebody who's not been convicted.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm being treated like. Um, like an ISIS terrorist that, you know, bombs a a school, you know, or something like that. And I I hear the Guantanamo Bay terrorist detainees are treated much better, and they get to go outside, and they have a yard. They get to play sports and eat actual food. I mean, they're trying to starve me here. I'm on a 100% soy-based diet, even though I'm on a kosher diet. They don't have any actual food for me here.
0: Okay, let's just go over just a few for a few minutes before we get to the news of your documentary, which you have coming out. Which is, I don't know how a guy makes a documentary while in prison, but you were caught on camera doing bad things on January 6th, right?
2: I would never say bad. I would say our founding fathers would uh been standing shoulder to shoulder with me, uh, standing up against tyranny and defending human lives. I was also. Um, You know, I have two people who have come forward and signed court sworn affidavits that I saved a life on January 6th. And I think that if um, the situation was with George Floyd, you know, everyone was asking, you know, why didn't anybody knock the officer off uh, George Floyd's neck? And, um, you know, that that same situation happened on January 6th. You have to, sometimes you have to um, defend a third person's life by, you know, doing what I did and doing what many of the January 6ers did. And you also have to stand up and defend the Constitution at all means, you know, and and so I would never say bad. No, I would say um, patriotic.
0: Well, I guess assaulting a peace officer was among them, correct?
2: Um, A (laughs) redcoat, somebody that was uh, disobeying their constitutional orders to defend the Constitution and to uh, uphold uh, free and fair elections and uphold... uh, our, our Bill of Rights. I would say that they, these people were um, Nancy Pelosi's personal army, uh, Capitol Police officers that were sent there to brutalize unarmed American c- citizens that were peacefully protesting.
0: Um, And then uh, last time we spoke, you talked about your documentary that one that you made from prison. How did, how does this happen?
2: So I've been blessed. Um, with amazing support system and team of people around me, and really just a coalition of amazing patriots that, uh, from J6Truth.org, my my website, um, which is, you know, got a lot of traffic and it's, we've been producing a lot of content on there. Um, people have come together and sent, you know, hundreds of hours of videos of, poli- of different instances of police brutality, totally unprovoked, brutal attacks by the police people standing congregating peacefully protesting and all of a sudden a flash grenade lands in the midst of them or a smoke grenade or pepper balls from like a paintball style, um, gun that has pepper spray, um, little bullets in them, um, that explode on impact. And so, um, you know, people were protesting peacefully unarmed and the cops are using all these incitement tools, flash grenades, smoke bombs, uh, pepper ball bullets. And then obviously pissed a lot of people off. And, um, they started to defend themselves. And so we've caught all of this on this documentary, including even more horrific and, and horrible circumstances, such as the circumstances surrounding Roseanne Boylan's um, brutal death by the hands of the Capitol Police, that I um, was involved in trying to save her life. And uh, she died in my arms. So we have all of this caught on uh, never before seen footage from the Capitol, edited together with a timeline and with narration and it's uh it's really groundbreaking and i think it'll change the hearts and minds of many americans um who think that uh you know we were we were there up to no good that we were actually ambushed and we had to defend ourselves
0: i don't know if you're aware of this probably your attorney has said this that the D- department of justice has changed the way it has said it will re- it will respond to protesters and Uh, And by virtue of that, they won't be doing the flash grenades amid groups of people that aren't doing any active rioting uh, and that sort of thing. And it's all in the response, of course, to the BLM and the Antifa riots of 2020 when the shutdown Washington folks shut down the uh, Lafayette Square Attack the church right in front of the White House, and were seen going under the ground.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, absolutely despicable. You know, it's a riot when you're just there to so so civil discord, and you're there in the name of. You know stoking race relations and, and and whatnot and you're there because george soros has hired a bunch of bad actors to you know leave bricks around and toss molotov cocktails into police but it's a it's a protest when you're there because a tyrannical regime has stolen an election from a constitutional republic and it's our not just our right but it's actually our duty in america to um protect our republic and i don't think january 6 was a riot i think it was a, a an uprising of patriots that was supposed to be peaceful nobody brought weapons it wasn't a real uprising planned out prior where people brought weapons but it turned into a a defensive action between all the patriots defending their own lives, but also uprising against tyranny and defending our country against a regime that is now in office destroying our country. I mean, Mm -hmm. name one thing that the Joe Biden um, stranglehold is not currently destroying and um, it'll get worse. Our civil liberties will start to disappear even more than the COVID tyranny has already knocked them uh, down. And, you know, people will uh, either grow complacent or they'll continue to, to fight back.
0: You are pictured from January sixth with a baseball bat. What do you what do you say to that?
2: You know, freedom isn't free, and there's a lot that goes into standing for the Constitution and standing for this country and the decisions to defend my life and the people around me by taking a an aggressive stance was one that was taken after they murdered Roseanne Boylan in front of me. They murdered, it was, to me that's, they declared war on us right then and there. It was like the, I'll tell you what, it was the Boston Massacre of the modern day era. The, The government that is tyrannical, murdered unarmed, peaceful, protesting citizens in front of me. And what would you, I mean, I wasn't raised to run away like a coward. I was raised to stand and fight if people murder uh, unarmed women in front of me to defend them and to push back. And I would never run away from such a situation. And so those pictures and that videos and stuff of me with the riot shield and with the bat, that's after they murdered an uh, American citizen in my arms and disobeyed their constitutional orders to defend this country. So, you know, you be the judge. American people are, are my judge. You know, did I do the right thing? Would you have done the same thing or would you have tucked tail and, and, and ran away? And, uh, you know, more people may have died if I didn't stand to defend them.
0: I just know that even the ACLU says retreat and live to fight another day. And you might have to do that fighting in court. And of course you're doing both. You did both. You did both. You said you recently got a video phone call with somebody and tell me how that works in prison.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, for the first year I was locked up in DC there, you know, really had us. Uh, I mean, a social attrition, not able to do a, uh, a in-person visit and no video video visits. I mean, this is you know 2021, 2022 now. You know, what do you mean you can't do a video visit? Everyone's got Facetime on their phone, so they're really just keeping us from our families, trying to get us to fold to take these plea deals. And then I got bounced around the country, and um, now I'm in Alexandria, Virginia. Still no in-person visitation um, from some made-up virus, but. I do get one 10-minute video call a week um, with my family, and so I got to see my grandma and my grandpa for the first time in 17 months, and uh, very emotional, very, you know, they they support me. My family calls me a hero. They call me a patriot. They're proud of me, and uh, I love them so much, and I can't wait to come home and, and be with them.
0: Next steps legally for you. What happens next? due process motions,
2: habeas corpus motions, selective prosecution motions, questioning the government's jurisdiction, questioning everything about Mm. this ridiculous uh, court case. And so we're gonna be hammering them with many motions coming soon, as soon as we get a ruling on this 1512 motion to dismiss.
0: When do you expect that 1512 motion to be ruled Um, on?
2: He just ruled yesterday on Garrett's um, finalized uh, motion. Uh, what the government responded, and then he responded again and said, "No, this is final." So I am. I imagine mine will be coming out within within the next few days, probably before my June sixth launch of uh, the full documentary on j 6 truthorg dot org.
0: Well, thank you so much, Jake. Appreciate you being willing to talk with us and take the tough questions. I mean, in the last interview we had was really just basically asking fundamental questions that are important, and also just getting them down. On record, and I I appreciate your willingness to do that. And you don't run away from your story. It's
2: uh no, I I uh, I really appreciate the you know. The platform to be able to tell my story because I think that January 6th was a historic event where free men stood against tyranny and it should be celebrated as such as a patriotic event where um, American people drew a line in the sand and they said, you know, if you want to if you want to take the White House um, by a, by a stolen election and on top of that the incumbent to be a you know senile and a, a, ter- a tyrant, uh, you're going to have to come to us first. And so we stood our ground and we tried to stand up and defend this country. And, um, you know, uh, the, we lived to fight another day and we're continuing to fight um, peacefully in court. And if we wanted to be peaceful on January 6th, I mean, you know, there's, a, I would say out of that, that group of people there, probably about 90% of them are gun owners. So the fact that nobody showed up with a gun uh, out of a million people kind of shows our, our mindset that it was a peaceful protest that turned into a... Uh, an uprising of patriotic fervor, <laughs> and it was amazing. It was one of the greatest days in American history.
0: Thank you, Jake. Appreciate it. I know you're short. I know you're short on time. Uh, you're going to yeah. get the hook pretty quick here. So we'll talk yeah, to you another
2: twenty two hours in my cell, and I'll be back out to to keep the keep the fight on. <laughs>
0: And then next time, we're going to have a special update on our friend in Ukraine, in Kiev, as we're supposed to call it now, Pastor Anatoly Kalushny. We'll get that out as quickly as possible because it will be an emergency update. And we'll get that out. Be looking for the Adult in the Room podcast. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple podcast app every time you listen. And give me a great review. Plus, of course, subscribe to the podcast. It makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs, and it makes us easier to find. Please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff. Yeah, we're still there. Using the names Victoria Taft or the Adult in the Room podcast on MeWe, Parlor Mines, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to 1A Cast for imaging, editing, and production. The fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time. Mischief managed. Rise up.